Welcome, one and all, to another episode of the Close Encounters of the Nerdkind Podcast. My name's Imran, TJ Sutherland, Dan Colacott, with new episodes released on the first and third Mondays of the month. Catch Close Encounters of the Nerdkind Podcast at foreverinelectricdreams.com. Welcome, one and all, to another episode of the Close Encounters of the Nerdkind Podcast. For this episode... We are talking about comics, or more importantly, we are talking about the representation of comics in film and TV, and specifically, has it got a bit too dark? Has it got a bit too violent? Has it got a bit too ultra-realistic? And joining us on this podcast is my fellow denizens of darkness, Imran Mirza, TJ Sutherland, and Dennis Jose Francois. Thank you for joining one and all. Um, I think it's probably good to kind of kick off by mentioning why we're really talking about um, this topic. And it all kind of began when all three of us, or rather all four of us, watched uh, the recent The Batman film, the Robert Pattinson film, and realized that that somehow had managed to be even darker, grittier, and more realistic than any of the Batman films that came before it. So therein in lay a topic of, okay, is are these kind of films going massively in that direction? And then before we'd even got a chance to discuss that, we all watched um, Doctor Strange uh, in the Multiverse of Madness. I have to get that right. Speaking of evil... How about that Sam Raimi film? Hey. <laughs> See what I did there? But seriously, did, did everyone think the same thing at me as me, that we're watching an Evil Dead film? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. There were a few comments I've seen post-seeing the movie, but also made by my lovely wife who uh, accompanied me to the cinema. Um that yeah, it was very much felt like a Evil Dead three point five. I don't know how many he's made. Was it three or four? Four. Well, officially, there's been three in one universe. Then there's been a remake. Uh, oh yeah. Then yeah. there was the series, and now they're doing another kind of soft reboot. But apparently, it's... that isn't set in the original universe either. Yeah, it was evil. The evil MCU verse dead Doctor <laughs> Multiverse Strangeness Part Three. Well, I always thought, even when they first mentioned the Darkhold, which was back in um, WandaVision, hmm. I thought, is this not just the Necronomicon? But <laughs> even back then, um, yeah, they, they seem to have doubled down on it because obviously it has Bruce Campbell in it in a, in a really kind of. Random multi-dimensional cameo. Can uh, I cut in? Yeah, go on. First mention of the Dark Cold was in Shield, season three. In fact, uh, it yes. drives, yeah, it drives all of Shield. Is it season three or season four? The one yeah. where um, Ghost, Ghost Rider. Rider shows up, yeah. and that's all about the Dark Cold, right there. Oh my god! Wow. Amazing. And obviously, obviously, the Dark Cold's been around forever, but yeah, that's the first. Yeah, but like, I was what I was trying TV to. Of it. How do they make the connection, or do they even bother, between the Darkhold in Shield and the Darkhold at the end of One Division? 
Like, where well, did she there's... get it in Wonder Vision? Did she get it from... But is it the same copy? I thought there was only one per universe. I... Is that not the point of this one, where she destroys it in all universes? Well, she spoiler destroyed alert. the stones. Yeah, sorry. She probably should have kicked off with the, st- with the spoiler alert, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. I but, think um... anyone listening who doesn't want spoilers from the Batman and Doctor Strange 2... Probably should uh, forget everything you've heard for the last few minutes. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I th- no, I thought the destroying of the stone tablets or the temple, wherever it was, that's what kicked off all of the different copies being erased from the different universes because they were all copies from that. Anyway, and it, we're getting into details. No, 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 details no. Before, it, it is yeah. a good point. It is a good point because they they make the point of saying. It's a copy. The, the physical, as in the book, the book it's a is a copy it, from the stone tablets. But yeah. It doesn't make doesn't say that those stone tablets only exist in one universe. No, I thought I thought that was hint, that was that was suggested because, I, 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 yeah, maybe I misinterpreted it then because that because that's why when they said it was a copy because I thought the same thing as you, Dennis. I was like, so what about the one that was in Shield? Like, are there two versions running around? Why can't someone not just pick up that other copy? But then. When they said that it was her destroyer, I I thought Strange said that when she destroyed the stone tablets, that erased all of the copies from existence across the multiverses. I may have just inferred that off my own back. I don't know, but that was what I got from it. No, no, I thought the same. I thought that the um, the temple um, was only existed in our universe. Yeah, because our universe. Yeah, because I think our universe is supposed to be like a a nexus point, isn't it? Across the different multiverses. That's why there's so many um, key, like, things like that temple exist in our universe because there's, like, ley lines across the various multiverses and that's what, that's why there's so much thing. That's why there's so many things that kick off in our universe. They or didn't really explicitly like. say that, though. I mean, no, it didn't. I, I, again, I think that's what I inferred. Yeah. 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 That's what they suggest in the comics, but they don't implicitly suggest that here. Yeah. I, I, I Yeah, maybe I was kind of making up my own storyline based on a few things that I had in the movie then, but that was what I thought. I, I think maybe that's where I thought they were going with it. So that's why I'm, yeah, that's why I'm now making shit up. <laughs> do you do you do you do that with all films that you watch? Yes. Is that your makes approach? It, to, is that makes it so much that, better? Is that your approach to these podcasts as well? My version, my version <laughs> yeah. of everything is so much better than the reality. Right. Okay. So, what are we talking about today? Exactly. <laughs> so, before we get <laughs> before we get too waylaid, um, yeah, just coming back to the whole Sam Raimi thing and Evil Dead. Even first of all. There's a lot of demons and kind of evil spirits. Even the, the makeup and having, you know, an undead uh, Doctor Strange. It, it, everything is so Sam Raimi. It, it's it's ridiculous. And everything is just that little bit more, um, I don't know, I, I would say sort of scary and suspenseful. It, it's definitely not, I don't know, I... Out of all the Marvel movies that there have been and that we've seen, I don't think there's been anything like this. I mean, am I right? Imran, come on, chime in. No, I, I couldn't have said it uh, better. I think it was... I, I've 
since been referring to it as the boldest uh, of the of sort of the MCU movies. I mean, I know a lot of what we'll discuss today will revolve around overall darkness and levels of violence, but I don't think in a in a in a known say comic book movie um, across even DC or any of the Marvel properties that we've seen anything this horror inspired. I mean, there's callbacks to Evil Dead, as you say. Certainly, Carrie. I think when Wanda goes up against the Illuminati, it was genuinely scary when she's walking across the gr- uh, the glass. When she appears, like it's it's the horror sort of aesthetic of the whole thing. When she her face just appears behind this closed door. Uh, where she's chasing Strange and um, oh, the young lady's name I've gone blank. What was uh, America? Um, America. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was also bold. I, I, I thought in terms of the direction for each of the characters of uh, Wanda and Strange. I I thought you know just where they took each of them, fascinating. Just really, really brilliant. And yeah, uh, that's why I've yeah I say referred to it as the boldest because I can't think of one that was this genuinely scary. I mean, there's there's moments in the um, I don't know is it Citadel they call it the the place where they end up where the Illuminati where, Illuminati are no 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 right uh, kind of at the start where they're fighting Wanda oh um, or oh, in between the um, oh Tamarouge 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 whatever it's called yeah yeah, yeah. Ba- basically there. there there's moment where she first of all. She reduces, I don't know, a fair few people, probably probably the odd hundred uh, acolytes to ash. She literally just burns them. Again, no pun there. But she just burns them to a cinder. And then at one point resurrects them only to, to further torture them, uh, which I just thought was, I mean, incredibly horrible. But um, I Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually found the way she took out the Illuminati more horrifying in a, in a way yeah. because yeah, the, because her taking out I mean, her taking out kind of minus dudes i mean that that shit happens in mcu like every 20 seconds so but, <laughs> yeah but they never get but, resurrected and tortured no, yeah no that and the hero doesn't kill genuine good guys yeah. like that's never yeah. happened as soon as she killed that the character became irredeemable well, like there was never going to be that moment where she said oh i've sorry i went a bit you know i've I, i'm i'm a good guy again when she killed them at, at the, the the temple for her it was over yeah and, creatively yeah. there was no way just, point. point i think just uh, uh, not just the fact that she killed like like mainline let's say mainline characters like big characters but the way she did it as well was just very considered yeah, yeah. and brutal and I mean, obviously efficient because she's wanting to get through them to get to America. But like, it was yeah that that I found the most arguably kind of some of the most shocking bits in uh in terms of the general carnage in the movie. True, because she basically uh, splits. I don't know what you call her. Is it Captain? Well, that version of Captain America, Captain, Car- Captain Carter. Captain Carter, that's it. She, she basically, even though you don't actually fully see it, but she, she, she uses the shield to essentially split her in half. Which, yep, yeah. I mean, that's well, it was the, the blue bolt, uh, blue bolt, the black bolt one. Oh, that brutal. <laughs> it's oh, just, it's brutal. amazing. Skull just like caved in a bit. So I was just like, wow. Technically speaking, he did that to himself. 
Well, yes. He had to give it all that. He couldn't yeah. shut up for one minute. Yeah, and then... Although, <laughs> mumble, 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 that wouldn't have happened. Because the idea is that, that the sound waves ricochet in his mouth back into his brain. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick at a thread very briefly, which I know I shouldn't, but it... It doesn't bother me because I've been reading comics and watching comic movies long enough to understand inconsistencies with power levels and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. within the same fight, her powers and abilities and willingness to do certain things to certain people wavered really wildly in the space of a single fight in that scene, I thought. Meaning like, that... like, like how? Yeah. Well, elaborate. Considering the way how swiftly and easily she took out Black Bolt, she went in, then went into a fist fight with Captain Carter, but then was going toe to toe with um, cosmic level powers against Captain Marvel. But then with Reed Richards, she just at a, with a thought, she just turned him into ribbons and then exploded his breath, like. She hang on. She turned him into cheese strings. I thought. cheese strings. Sorry, yeah. And then and no, and then and then, sorry, and then exploded his brain. Sorry, I <laughs> yes, forgot that part. Yeah. But yeah, and I know comics do this shit all the time. Comic movies do shit all the time. I just thought it was a funny thing. I was just like, I think cool. what she was doing was reflecting in some form their power back at them. So sure. in the case in the case of Reed Richards, she turns into spaghetti. In the case of Black Bolt, she uses his sound thing against him with Professor X, it's the telepathy, you know, inside his mind. With Captain Carter, she goes you know, has a fist fight with everyone kills with the shield. With I mean, exactly as you said, but in all cases it's a, it's her reflecting their power from, back at them. From a movie aspect and entertainment aspect, it worked and it was great. Just I'm I, I for some reason I was in the mood to apply logic to comic book movies, which is a fucking stupid idea. Yeah, that is, <laughs> stupid. That is. Go, go and stand in the corner. Actually, it, did, it didn't it didn't it didn't upset me. It just I just thought it was funny. It was just like uh, if you're really in a hurry, why the fuck are you fucking around with punching people? But yeah, anyway, I thought it was funny. I had an interesting conversation last weekend. I was at a party and I was with a group of people. They'd all seen the film and they were very they were very much. Oh, I'm not sure about it. And I was like, what are your issues with the film? And they said, well, you know, it doesn't, a lot of it didn't make sense. Cause then I said, did you see blah, blah, blah. And they said, no, we hadn't seen those films. And I said, well, then that's why it didn't make sense because they didn't know a lot of the stuff going on between the crossovers and stuff like that. And they said, but uh, yeah, you know, you should be able to go to the movies and watch a movie stand. I said, look, we're 25 movies in at this point, right? You, th- this whole idea. You're that either on the train should, or get out of the way. Exactly. The, yeah. it, the whole idea that every film should stand alone and you should be able to see it does not count in a movie franchise like the Marvel Universe. It simply doesn't. That's an old way of looking at things. And you can argue all you want. Now, yes, it should. No, it shouldn't. The whole pro- This film makes no sense if you haven't seen previous ones. It's, sim- it's as simple as that. I have a you know, question uh, on that hmm. very topic because me and Jess are talking about this. And we're obviously now at a point, as you say, we're 20, 25 movies, so you said? I, I'm, deep, I'm not even sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So, we're X amount of movies deep into it, like crossover TV shows, miniseries, the whole nine yards. And we're obviously at a tipping point of if you if you're not invested in this now, then you know you kind of need to get out of the way because this juggernaut's going to keep on going. Does uh, at what point? And this is this is just a question that I, I have no idea on what the answer is to it. But at what point does it go beyond? 
the point of accessibility and become a hardcore I'm an MCU fan thing because obviously they're making movies to be commercially sure. successful as well but I think where, where, where do you where do you find that balance between paying um adherence to people that have been loyal to your brand and to you know watch everything that you've got to offer they know all the ins and outs they know who this character is they understand where the story is going to be mm-hmm. going and your casual i just want to go and see a marvel movie i just want to see big explosions and watch well, captain you, america okay. run around and do stuff if you want to just go if, they, if that latter one is your category then it doesn't matter right if you just want to see big explosions in a Marvel movie and, and Captain America running around, then it doesn't but, matter but, if you're not following the story, does it? Yeah, it's, I mean, but you do, you do still want to have a, an understanding of... Because, like, say, like, with all the the first wave of Marvel movies, people could kind of go and watch them and kind of get into them and, you know, understood what the story was going through. Uh, and that was... Uh, a lot of people would call themselves casual fans. But now it's getting to... Now is it getting to the point where... It's scary. It's going to start scaring away those people, and then. But I, I, I think with the existing audience is so large that it doesn't matter to Marvel. They've decided, right. well, this is what we're doing, and they're not the only franchise that does that. They've got the most. I mean, by inclu- by doing the multiple things, it's not even twenty five films because now you could say, well, all the Spider Man films are in it, and all of the X Men films are in it, and all of the sure. Daredevil and TV, the, and shows, the TV are in shows, and exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's even beyond that. But they're not the only franchise that's in that situation. Just to stay com- coming completely out of superheroes, look at the Fast and the Furious franchise. Right, that yeah. still takes it home from the box office every single time. There are like nine, ten, nine films with spin-off movies, and like, how do you like? I watched the first two or three Fast and the Furious movies, right? But if I was to come in now and watch F nine, would I really know what's going on? You know, the relationship, same with like Hobbs and Shaw. Why don't they like each other? It's something to do with what's happened in previous movies. You know, do I get a flashback? Do I get a previously on Fast and Furious? No, but people still go to the cinema to see it and they're still taking it home. And mm. at the end of the day, that's all the studios care about. Mm. You know, if, if, do, if I, enough people are going to be happy for it to make a profit, then they'll just keep going with where they are. Yeah, I just, I'm just I'm just curious, like, is there going to come a point where they're going to notice a significant enough dip where they go, okay, maybe we've, have we gone too far or are we making our movies too niche? I think oh. one of the things that happens is they introduce new characters and mm. that's a jumping on point. It's the same thing that happens in comics. Yeah, true. I think, I think Star Wars franchise has exactly, if not worse problem than that, because mm. with the Marvel films, you can jump on like at various points, if you like a certain character and just take it from there with Star Wars, it's really hard to do that and really know what's going on. Even the Mandalorian, which could be a jumping on point for some people. There's a lot mm. going on in the Mandalorian, which, you know, really is callbacks to everything else that's come before. So, um, But Dennis, didn't you say the other day when we were talking about this, that the films themselves have become very similar to what it's like walking into a comic shop and trying to pick up any one single character or series and understanding what it's all about. Yes, but having just been to a comic shop an hour ago and spent a hundred dollars trying to catch up, that's that's just how I roll. Do you know what I mean? Like we, we 
they've got a speak. They've got us like the plan and sink, haven't they? Um, but can I? Can, I had a conversation. I think it was around about the time Infinity War came out, and there was a buddy of mine who, I think, he just sort of sat back and he was watching this this promo machine for Infinity War because you know it, it really ramped up for that movie. And I remember him sort of saying to me like. I, I kind of I really want to get invested in this now, but I genuinely have no idea where to start. But the the plus side for um um for for MCU mostly mostly uh, for them, but certainly as regards to Star Wars, is actually Disney Plus itself. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say. In that, that they actually yeah, can promote yeah. this, and like it's all there. I know uh, MCU is missing Spider Man and Hulk, but ultimately. It's all there, and that's that's the jumping on yeah, point exactly. ultimately because they they have they arrange it in timeline order, in release order, and everything for Star Wars. Everything is and there. actually to to that point, that, that's a very very point I, I hadn't even thought about because same conversation that I was having with Jess and we went to go and see Doctor Strange and she was asking me questions about all sorts of stuff and and then that got her asking about oh so should I go back and watch because she hasn't really watched much of the Phase Four are we in now stuff or like any of the kind of tv well she missed a couple of the tv shows and the first thing she was saying was oh do i should i go and watch like shang chi should i check out you know what should i watch to kind of get back up to speed and da, da, da. so and having like you say disney plus there it's just like boom okay well it's all there here are the bits mm-hmm. and bobs for you to watch or like you said dennis you know someone has a jumping on point and they get curious about oh how does it how's this all kicked off then mm-hmm. they can actually go back and and find that stuff in a very easy to find uh, and low, low priced. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because because each new character they introduce is a jumping on point, isn't it? Like you could start at Doctor Strange, right? And then once you've seen all the films with Doctor Strange in them, you go back and find out whatever. I'll say you could start with Ant-Man. You could start with Black Panther, jump on, and then you're like, oh, I want to know how they got to this point. So let me go back and watch Civil War uh, or whichever one it was where... With, yeah, was it yeah. Civil War where Black Panther first shows up, um, uh, and then work your way backwards from there? Yeah. So, I mean, you could even be a jumping on point. What if you'd never seen any Marvel film until the last Spider Man movie, and the reason you went to see it was because you heard that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire were in it? And I know someone who hadn't, who it was exactly that situation, and then they were like, "Oh, I think I need to go and see the uh, watch some more movies." And I'm like, "Yes, you probably do." Um, so it kind of works. Although, unfortunately, yeah. the Spider-Man ones aren't on there, so that sucks. No, well, no, but you can still watch them on other streaming yeah, services, yeah, yeah. right? So, I mean, let's face it, everyone's got Netflix, I think. So, um, I do. I tell you what I do like. I do like that Marvel have ratified pretty much everything that not just that they've done, but everything that's gone past with a Marvel stamp, except for the previous Fantastic Four films. Everything else has sort of been stamped of approval because the guy who plays Black Bolt in... This film is the yeah, one from the, the Inhuman series, right? It's the same yeah. guy. I wasn't um, sure, and I was like, "Yeah, it's the same guy." Same? And then they've got obviously um, Charles Xavier, and, and 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 they've incorporated the what ifs, and they brought Daredevil into the last Spider-Man film, and they've brought uh, uh, Kingpin into Hawkeye, hmm. and you know they're like, so they've really just joined everything together, which. For some of us feeling like we'd maybe wasted a few, see now I'm inclined to go back and watch Punisher. Because mm. now I feel like he might show up somewhere, you know? Yeah. So true, true. I've got my fingers crossed that we'll see Luke Cage at some point. Because I thought the actor for Luke Cage was just perfect. I mean, he was yeah. just perfect. I really want to see him in, in stuff again, you know? So, so look, let, let's just float back onto topic because the, the whole reason for 
this podcast is if if you think back to when we were kids and when we were watching kind of superhero films, which were mainly starting with Superman, maybe Spider-Man and X-Men, I kind of feel that a lot of these films, there was a lot more, they were a lot, lot brighter, a lot kind of happier, less... Well, so, oh. I, I, see, I think we've actually answered the question, though. It might have sounded like we were on a Marvel preamble <laughs> uh, just now, but, uh, but no, I, I actually, because I've been thinking about it a lot, and I, I remember vividly, uh, I don't remember what film I was going to see, but I was, it was in the cinema, and they had uh, a trailer, this is obviously a couple of years ago now, but they had a trailer for, I think, what was the last Harry Potter film. Mm. I've never seen a Harry Potter film, but I remember the trailer for this started and I thought, oh, this looks interesting. And it was really like, it was pretty full on. And it was, you know, I remember thinking, wow, this, this, this has really evolved from, you know, for whatever snippets I would have seen from the first one. And I remember thinking like, this is, this is a franchise that's been on for say seven, eight or so, nine years. And, and obviously several movies. And, and I remember thinking about the time it's like, well, that, that, as a franchise evolved because the first film, for example, I'm generalizing here, but if the first film, if we were to say that that was targeted at 10 year olds, then the last film can't be targeted at 10 year olds because you're pitching to that same audience. The audience has grown. And I think that's the situation here. We're looking at, we're talking about the MCU, for example, that started in, is it 2007 or 2008? 2007. So, yeah, so you're talking about Iron Man, which is a superhero film that would have had loads of kids flock to see that film. And if they had stuck with it and Marvel's done, has strategized everything correctly, then those same, those same kids are now 12, 15 years actually, older. And I think it gives you the license to go Actually, if, if, as if a we're result. saying that the X-Men and the first Spider-Man films are part of the MCU, we're going back even earlier than that now, aren't we? Well, it, so I have yeah. a question. But it gives you license, I think, to go darker. So Sorry, I was, I was going to say, so I have a question. Like, when, if you're, if we're talking about films going darker, are we talking, like, what, how are we um, defining that? Because if you look back at some of the earliest kind of comic book movies ahead of the MCU, because I think we're, we're looking at the MCU, um, from Iron Man through to, you know, the end of phase three as that, that kind of, uh, standard bearer for comic book, for comic book movies. But prior to that, you had stuff like, um, Constantine, Sin City, The Crow, like all really dark Blade. comic book, Blade, um, you know, all really dark comic book movies. Like The Crow was 94, Blade was late, uh, 99, 90, uh, 98, Blade came out. So, yeah. so. The, yeah. So, um, you know, so, so there's been a raft of dark, in inverted commas, comic book movies prior to the MCU kind of bubble gumming everything up, if you want to call it that. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, so, uh, like, again, what exactly are we defining as a dark? Are we talking about realness, grittiness, or like, can can I also have come in with something as well? Because I asked Gavin about this topic before we started and Gavin pointed out to me that he, because he's just been in Ireland and he went to see Dr. Strange with his eight year old nephew who loved every minute of it. Yeah, there were kids in the one I see. Yeah, exactly. So what do we mean by dark and is it for kids? Because the kids are loving it. Uh, Okay. But (laughs) actually, sorry, just, Sorry, quick little side oh, story. Quick little side story. There was a little girl, must have been about 10 years old, 
uh, at the cinema with, um, with her mum or an adult anyway. And, uh, and I was just, I just, I was irrigating on a conversation. And at one point, a little girl said to, uh, this girl, this adult, um, oh yeah, I saw, um, uh, The Shining yesterday. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> wow. I was God. like, what the? <laughs> So yeah, kids, kids, kids have got zero chill these days. They don't scare anything. I mean, maybe Dan, <laughs> it's precisely because of the era we grew up in. Because you said that, like, well, just just early this afternoon when I was at the comic shop, the guy at the shop who knows I work in visual effects asked me, "Well, what do you what did you think of the She Hulk trailer?" Because there's been some comments about the, the yeah. look of the CGI, and I said to him, "You know what? I grew up." in the 70s and 80s, where the best we had to look at was Burt Ward and Adam West. I am still super happy. We live in an embarrassment of riches. And all right, it might be, but, you know, I'm still I'm still Same. happy with it. It's fine. It's fine. I think people are very much spoiled with, the, like, the level of hyper-realism and all that kind of stuff. And I think people and from our, our generation remember how rough it was back in the day. And I think that's why I'm quite forgiving of a lot of comic mm-hmm. book, movie content and, and TV shows because I had to go through some shit, man, in the early days of like people trying mm-hmm. to turn, change comic books into movies. And this, anything that's coming out now is a million times better than what was out when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I can only agree with all of that. Yeah. So, but, but I think to clarify, so to try and spin it a little to a lot of modern day TV series, like, like Peacemaker, like The Boys, like the the recent Watchmen TV series, mm-hmm. there was always night and day distinction between those sorts of TV series compared to Marvel compared to anything that the DC had done. I always kind of felt like like we are talking about definitely the aesthetic, how it looks, how it feels. But, you know, growing up, it, there was always, it was just good versus evil, and that was always fairly obvious, and, uh, and the okay. good guys always win. But, but nowadays, after watching this, and, he, and watching The Batman, which has somehow managed to, you know be that much more grittier and darker than every Batman before it and the characters a lot more realistic and, and, and potentially further away from, you know, the graphic novels. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it feels to me that the, the, the distinction is, is, is blurring. I mean, I, I, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, well, if, if, you, if you take the, the Netflix series, we're talking about Daredevil and Punisher, those were actually made. They were made by a different studio, I think, and they were they were more aimed at adults. And it it, it wasn't. It, it didn't feel like it was the same audience that was kind of consuming um, the, the Marvel movies. I, obviously, there's there's crossover because people like those characters. But I always felt the Netflix series was a bit more adult. And it's interesting now that they they're trying to find a way to bring those characters into the MCU. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if, has everyone here watched Peacemaker? Yeah, I have. No. I think, I think TJ watched it in one lunch break at fast forward. Yep. <laughs> didn't you, TJ? Time, time's two speed, baby. Absorbed <laughs> all that shit. It's good. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's a fantastic, a fantastic example of 
they've taken a character out of a, a fairly i mean let's face it the the first suicide squad was a fairly generic very cheesy kind of superhero film and it was generally awful but they've taken a character from that and they've made it into i just think a much more sophisticated adult you know the peacemaker himself that 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 critically flawed character who's a bit of a you know womanizing fascist and with with a nazi father i i don't know it i mean it, it's not necessarily a bad thing but i would i don't know i you've Emma, you've got kids do you would you take your kids to see doctor strange i took my 11 year old daughter to see <gasps> doctor strange yeah what oh did she God. think Jesus well, Christ, firstly, 11 years old already? Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's amazing. Right? You are officially old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm getting younger. She's the one getting older. We, we decided to trade. Yeah. <laughs> but she, well, we, we had no idea. I had no idea it was going to be what it was going to be. Like, it, was, it would be so, you know, I, I wouldn't yeah. have thought. I mean, she definitely pulled away at the, uh, uh, the, the souls uh, when he sort of possesses the souls at the end of the film, she was like, "No," <laughs> buried her head in her hands at that oh. point. But um, but yeah, there, there, there's certainly Marvel properties. I you know I've always she's incredibly immersed in it at the moment. She's literally watching everything, and she I've, I've had to say no to Daredevil, no to Deadpool, no <laughs> to Punisher, and uh, she desperately wants to watch Deadpool. But uh, I don't. Yeah, know. I should be all right with that. So, um, um, <laughs> Imo, you might be able to appreciate this. When I, when Kingsman, the Secret Service, the first Kingsman came out, right. I, my friends in America, uh, in Washington DC, they were excited to see a film that I had worked on just because they wanted to see the name of someone they knew in the credits. And my friends right. took their two daughters, so age seven and nine, I think at the time, Ooh. because oh. the certification allowed it. And I never yeah. thought to tell them anything about the film. They went and they were like, they said to me afterwards, yeah, that was an interesting film, but there were a few bits in there that they were like, mm. oh no, what have we done? You know, mm. and you think about that, but the certificate, <laughs> but, the, but the girls weren't phased by it. They were like, oh, ha-ha. They, you know, they didn't understand some of the jokes, obviously. You know, there's a bit of... Uh, I suppose the, the violence in it is very comic booky. I mean, it's comic book. But, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it very more, over the top. Yeah. It was more the, you know, we can have bum-bum sex jokes at the end of the film. That, <laughs> that, that was that, the precisely <laughs> the one. That was more of the concerns, that. you know what I mean? And, and, and they, <laughs> after that, they didn't know what it meant. They get that? You know? Yeah, I was going to say, did they, did they even get that? I mean, if they got it, then that's more of a concern. <laughs> yeah, that's more of a worry. <laughs> So, so, uh, but Dan, I've got to ask you. I mean, first of all, it sounds like you've become very wholesome in the last few years. Um, <laughs> but is this more a case that for years we were projecting a certain uh, level of morality onto children, saying that the world is black and white and there is only good versus evil, and there is only man and woman, and there is only this and that, and there is only married and not married, and whatever, all those moral things which for hmm. years have dominated the media. And now, very suddenly, over a short period of time we've said you know what men can be with men and people can transform into different genders and you know there's all different races and you know people can do anything they want and language is fine you can swear whenever you like and this that and the other and we've just brushed away all the morality rules and now we're raising generations who don't have what we had on us so what you in a way what you're saying is 
oh, do we, <laughs> we've basically just taken off all the gatekeeping, all of the doors and let loose. Is that a good or a bad thing? My question would be, was it a good or a bad thing to have had them there in the first place? Well, we've turned out all right, right? Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah do, I mean... do, do, do you see what I mean? I think there's a question, there's an argument to be made, but maybe if you look back at all of this false morality, the world is this clean black and white, maybe that was the wrong approach because it's led to this divided political world we live in now where people think that. True. And that's and also, not the truth. And we're also, we're living, uh, to your point as well, we're living in a time of varying state, states of shades of grey in, in across almost all forms of entertainment now. Every Like, you're right, it, it's not just about good versus evil and yada, yada, yada. It's all about the, you know, morality choices, people making decisions based on various things and then changing their allegiances. If you look across nearly all forms of media, there's like a story somewhere about someone who's like an anti-hero or you know, something along those lines. And it isn't, you know, there's not a guy riding in on with, on his, with a white hat on and killing a guy with a black hat on and all that kind of stuff. And To, to be honest, yeah. this transition in, in story morality actually started in the 80s with mm. The Dark Knight and Punisher and, and stories like that in comics. And comics went through this actually quite a while ago. So that's not really a surprise. Computer games, I don't know if have, have, have ever been in that moral world computer games like how many games do you know of where you actually play the good guys most of the time at best you're playing this crazy character that is that can run around the world and do good or bad but mostly bad if you look at games like grand theft auto or whatever you're not the good guy in that right so and that's they've been around for ages and that's what these generations of kids are growing up on so if anything hollywood is the last to catch up with that the flawed hero True, but there, there's also an argument to be made that a lot of a lot of film, a lot of film out there, can be incredibly violent or or sexual, but it doesn't necessarily have to put the camera lens and, and focus on those things. Doesn't mean that that's not what's happening. I mean, the, the viewer you can credit them with a certain amount of brain power they they know what's happening it's just what the camera shows you and i think it, it it's been i don't know I, i've seen an evolution where perhaps exactly what you're saying because because of the social media generation who who can tap into anything and see anything they want online um no matter how horrendous it is it's like you can access everything but it i don't know i i just kind of felt like there, there's violence where, you know, you th- at, at, at kind of crucial points, it cuts away. You don't actually see everything. You you don't see the blade decapitate um, the body to the point that the various organs start to spill out and there's blood everywhere. And I think it, it's getting, I don't know, it, we're it's moving away explicit. from that. Go on. Yeah, it's yeah. become more explicit. Yeah, it, I think so. It's you're not leaving anything to the imagination anymore. No. It's 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 you know. Well, 
That I can't disagree with at all because, I mean, but then that's partly to do with the art of good filmmaking. Funnily enough, just before we started recording, I think, I don't know if you had already jumped, joined us yet, TJ. I was, we were talking about that new Mike Myers series. And I said, there's that, there's that bit in the second episode where they do the gratuitous profanity scene, right? <laughs> and then they do the Netflix edit of it without the profanity and somehow without the profanity it's even worse because it, what you don't notice while they're swearing is they're doing all these physical gestures with pool cues which are basically you know analogous to being fucked up the ass right you take the shit you take the uh the swearing out and suddenly people are you know are visually getting it up the ass right it's, yeah. and it's, a, it's really clever I, I you know whether you like the rest of the series or not it's worth watching just a little, that little bit and i think it's meant to be a statement on censorship and why censorship is so ridiculous because you know he clearly shows that you can take away the profanity but you can't take away what the, the meaning if you want to describe it a certain way you know what i mean also um, which i thought was interesting it's part of, it's part of this also to do with obviously just generally audiences are becoming more desensitized to violence and stuff anyway, but it's also part of this because of advancements in, you know, uh, visual effects, uh, you know, the, the quality of the film that we're watching now, everything's in like HD and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's easy. Is it easier to, do the things that they would have liked to do back in the day, or they would have had to do through visual effects back in the day. And is that, is that what is, has caused this? If, if we're, lit, if we're purely talking about seeing more graphic, gory violence and that sort of thing, is it just, is it a case of, you know, it's just, e it's just an easier process for people to do that kind of thing now and to do it in a more hyper-realistic way? Um, I think so. And I think one of the other things, sort of kind of picking up on anecdotes about, about kids, my, my nieces have both seen Squid Game. And I think, you know, that, that kind of shocked me because I was just like, why would you even be seeking out and getting access? How old are they? Uh, 14 and 15, although at the time they were 13 and 14. But... Hmm. But it kind of, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess... Yeah, haven't, it, haven't teenagers always done that? I mean, when we were teenagers, we'd go to the video store and rent mm -hmm. 18 certificate, like, violent yeah, movies and watch them. Yeah. And, and, sure. and the guy at the video store would just let us rent them. Do you know what I mean? It's that, and we were, like, 13, 14, so... Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd be, I'd, I remember at school there was, like, tape trading going around, like, mm. horror movies, kung fu films, action movies that were all, like, 18 and... Yeah. Stuff like that. And that was, you know, I was like 14, 15. So that's not necessarily a new phenomenon. Hopefully we could just do it online now. Yeah. I think that's the distinction Dan's drawing though, isn't it? Because there was a line between what was just a generally considered an 18 or rated R movie. And then there was the family friendly superhero film. And you can take that same character. So I, I well, while discussing anecdotes of, with children, I remember seeing Batman versus Superman in the cinema. And this, bless her, this little girl went, Batman has just pummeling uh, Clark. She burst into tears and had to be taken out um, of the cinema. She it, she found it harrowing just when he's punching the hell out of Sucker. him. And it's there was that. <laughs> I love, do you know what? I love watching kids cry in the cinema. Dan, do you remember when we went to see Ghostbusters? 
<laughs> do you remember we went to see Ghostbusters and that opening wait, sequence wait, wait, terrified terrified a child so much they paused the movie to get him out oh, of the theatre Imran when, Imran when you edit this just take that little snippet right before you do any of the music or anything and just like start in silence have that play and then go into the show I love watching children cry that, just that bit super villain right there the, the, film, the filmmakers have done their job I mean it was that opening sequence of Ghostbusters with the ghost and whatever and the kid was screaming his head off they paused the movie and, and got the film to get out of the cinema and I remember thinking like that was the best way this film could have started it was hilarious I, I thought I was bad, like admitting that I enjoy watching kids get injured in YouTube videos, but you know, oh, <laughs> oh, that's gross, that's disgusting. Are we on a mission to make uh, this podcast not, dark or something? Not, not fatal injuries, you know, like when you get hit in the face with a football or something like that, and it's just quite funny. It's not just me, like little toddlers like going for a football, smash them in the face and knock them on their ass. Exactly, see, it's not just me. Have you seen the one I saw this recently where where this toddler and it's it's like um, gladiators, there's this thing spinning round. Oh, yes, and he gets carried on it, and he's seen that one, that's so good. He gets hit about five times every time he tries to get up. Brilliant. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, what have we become? I mean, he didn't cry, he wasn't injured. It's all okay. I think one of the things we're saying here, though, is that what's considered to be the level for 18 certificate, 15 certificate B of appearance has definitely changed. For sure. But it's been changing. Over, this is not something that's happened in the last five years. It's happened over the last 50 years, the last 100 years. What's considered wholesome, what is considered good for kids moves in the same way that that moral finishing line moves mm-hmm. sometimes forward sometimes backwards as well yeah. depending on you know it, it, it depends on on where you are and that's i think as adults as older adults we also start to look at it differently especially when you have kids or nieces or nephews mm-hmm. um I remember, I remember when i was like was it the 80s when they had the whole controversy with the video nasties and all that kind of stuff yeah, and yeah. loads of movies got banned and you know got Chopped like ed- Exorcist and stuff like that got banned. It's like you're Thriller right, those, got banned those, from the BBC. Yeah, the yeah. Thriller video. Imagine that now. And, and look how much the gold the goalposts have just, as you say, just shifted. As you know, people have been desensitized, or you know, morals shift. You know, people. I, I also think we're entering an age where how do you capture the attention of a generation that is used to just looking at a different screen like have you if you watch a bunch of teenagers watching telly they're not watching telly they're watching their phones texting each other about what's on tv and they miss half they miss half of the stuff that's on there and if you want to truly engage the eyeballs well there's only one way you can do that yep but it's also not about creating content to target that generation. That's something we've not really said. I and mean, we're guys in our forties discussing MCU movies, and that's kind of, I think, part of the 
the sort of that target audience has shifted. If you talk about the nineties, they didn't make superhero movies for adults. That just wasn't what it was. There was that line in the sand, a rated R or an 18 um, movie with uh, Schwarzenegger or Stallone that was separate from a Captain America movie from like 1990 or something like that. But now it's, you know, we're adults, we're grown adults and we're embracing the new MCU movies or the Batman and movies in ways children. Some of now. this, I think it's important to understand is driven by the differences in culture between America and I'm going to say the rest of the world. In America, you had the Comics Code Authority, which for years dictated what yeah. could be printed in comics, what was what was considered good for children. And even now in America, there's an ongoing argument about whether a comic should only be for children, or cartoons only for children, etc. Spin the world around 180 degrees and go to Asia, and it's a completely different story. Where mm, you know, wow. for years, that's never even been an issue. In fact, you go. We've, I've been watching some like 70s anime and stuff, and it's it's like wow, this was broadcast for kids at the time. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. Yeah, you know? even, and the manga as well. That was, like yeah. Some of the stuff that was in print was just like, holy smokes. This and is- that morality police, which grew mostly out of the United States and defined what could and could not be printed. Uh, and, you know, the UK had a certain amount of it as well as to what can be put on the front cover of something, what kind of things can be shown graphically in something that was considered for kids or not. It's taking a long time to untangle all of that. Because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of good discussion to say that that should never, it was too much. You know, it was too, if you look at the comics code, we did a whole episode about this back in the day, didn't we? And what the comics code actually was. And it's ridiculous, half the stuff that was in there. And it was defined by, you know, Bible belts, religious Christians. That's exactly what I was going to, yeah. That's where a lot of that stuff comes from, like that kind of conservative yeah, religious um, attitude, and I think I think to your point, like like you say, you know, we're going through a period where all of this stuff's being broken down, and people are really like, people are gradually starting to realize, actually, you know, is this stuff rotting children's brains? Is this stuff, you know, all of that stuff? And I think it's we're kind of going through that transitional period of figuring out what well what is acceptable, what isn't acceptable. How are we right to put a label on what's acceptable? Should we be legislating for this stuff, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah, and I think if you if you want to kind of try and categorize things, it's like it's about escapism and fun. Like, can a a superhero or a comic book book based film or TV series just be a bit of fun, light-hearted escapism, or does it have to be, you know, full of angst and death and everything's wow. going wrong? Every someone's dying, someone's about to die, the whole universe is about to fall apart. I get that. I think it can be both, and I think to a lot of discerning people, that's part of the evolution. But sometimes, I don't know, like I. I don't know. The part of me long, longs for something that's just a bit more, I don't know, light-hearted. Doesn't take itself too seriously. Even when I watch things like The Flash and Arrow, it's just like, oh my god! Every it's like watching Dawson's Creek, but with with um, comic book characters. It's just like, but it must, but it must have been angst. designed that way, right? So I mean, it's it's kind of those are written for that sort of audience i mean like i i i think that those things 
can happen exist both in the same show. So as an example, like, I don't know if you guys have seen The Boys. Like, there's yeah. there's things in that which are ridiculously funny, stupid, gory, brutal, but also there's some quite heartfelt things in there as well and some quite poignant stuff. So I, I think there's room for that potentially across all comics, but also within one show. If it's if something's written well, you can you can have all those elements in there and you know tick every box if it, if if it's done well enough. But the boys is is a dark parody. It's like the Watchmen. It, it's there to specifically send up uh, sure. Marvel and DC superhero characters. So okay, just a question: if if you um I don't know if it niece nephew cousin child if you had a, a five six year old boy or girl and you were like okay uh i i need to kill two or three hours because i don't know what i don't know what else to do i'm gonna i'm gonna make them watch not make them but i'm gonna take them to watch a film or a tv i've got like a box set of tv series on netflix or mm-hmm. disney plus where would you go what would you for, for so, 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 so first of all there. i'm glad that you said killed some time rather than kill something else <laughs> i was really wondering where you came with that one <laughs> sorry go on, ben. <laughs> I, I think there's lots of stuff so for instance i could you know even recent films in the in the movie sonic the hedgehog would probably fit that that bill free guy yeah. um yeah. there's lots of there's, there's lots of stuff there. whether you comments. would enjoy them pun they're not based on comics. But do they have to be? Yeah, I'm just just for the, for the purely for the example of this show. I know I know you are right. Those those are definitely good options. But just just thinking of a comic. Um, I do think MCU movies in general don't really offend that much. No, I, I would agree. And I don't know if the if if the whole comic book. I know that's the point of what we're discussing, but maybe it's just not relevant because a lot of those kids just don't read comics anymore. They're into computer games, and that's probably more relevant. Um, I was going to say that oh, can't we just watch something that's wholesome and fun without being dark and sinister? The only thing I can think of right now for adults which fits that is probably the Orville, which a lot of people wouldn't have seen. But if you're into sci-fi and you look at the Orville, the Orville is, apart from being silly, it's actually really good sci-fi. It's like they've you know, given Star Trek fans what they actually wanted out of the newest Star Trek series and didn't get, yet they've managed to do it with a, lay, with a layer of uh, Seth MacFarlane humour on it, which is quite interesting. But it doesn't take itself too seriously, but the stories are still good. So there is stuff out there, but you kind of have to dig around for it. But I the think. thing about the Orville is I thought it would be... I don't know. I thought it would have levels of... Um, the same level of humour as something like Family Guy. And it doesn't, as you said, it's actually really, really good sci-fi. Yeah. Um, it doesn't. I, again, yeah, you are right. It doesn't take itself too seriously. But even from where it, it begins, it has a, a good level of there's you know slight levels of parody and humour. But by the end of um, I can't remember because it's fi- finished after about two or three series. Two seasons, but there's a new one just coming up. Oh, there's a new so, one. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Okay, I there's didn't a, even know a, that. If you look <laughs> at the trailer, they've really, really spent a lot of money. If you look at the trailer for the for season three, it's like Jesus. Oh, wow. <laughs> they've really it's, gone for it. So. It's by the end of the by end by the end of season two. It was pure Star Trek in a yeah, good exactly. way. In a good way. Yeah. So okay, so I'm just trying to understand what your what your issue here is 
like, is it that com- that there's no options for people who want to force their kids to watch comic book movies? Force them <laughs> <laughs> to have a fun time out, or because because there's obviously definitely alternatives out there. Like, well, I'm sure Imran could probably attest to it. Like, what? Okay, the question actually should be probably directed at Imran as he does have kids of all of us here, um, allegedly. Um, <laughs> like. What, yes, what, they are what, clones, but what, we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> like, what's your go-to, or what has been your go-to in terms of entertainment for for your for your little ones? It has been somewhat wholesome, if I'm honest. I, I think with Annalie, the 11 year old, she is veering into you know content where she's quite keen to embrace a slightly more mature um, uh, sort of level of show uh and, and she's in that interesting phase where she's she loved uh like falcon and winter soldier and i didn't think she'd embrace the disney plus shows because it's they're usually what they're about 30 40 minutes and it's normally one action sequence one big action sequence per episode uh, unlike the movies so i thought she'd find them too talky basically but she really enjoys them she's not embracing loki loki is too talky at the moment so she's not really embracing that one but currently she's she's always liked pretty cool stuff she was massive ninja turtle fan for many years she uh was really her her and the little um maceo he's just turned six they're massive into pokemon as well what about what about Um, hawkeye did they did she enjoy yeah and lee loved it yeah yeah she watched she watched hawkeye she loved it but i you know i i feel like she she'd probably have a level of I, I haven't teased her with anything excessive. And, and I, I do understand what you're, you're saying, Dan. I, I, having said that, I don't think she's, she's never seen the Batman movie, for example. Mm-hmm. And I, I nearly, I, part of me has been wanting to get her to watch the, the 1989 Tim Burton one. Uh, just to see, I think she'd probably enjoy it, but I don't think she'd enjoy the most recent one, um, uh, for example. And I, I don't think she, at, in, at her current point would embrace violence to say the the level of the punisher or, or the daredevil show so i was going to suggest actually dan that there are still some wholesome superheroes stuff out there but you kind of got to look away from marvel and turn to dc what about the wonder woman films or aquaman or shazam they all fit into that family fun wholesome. They are, none of those are dark mm-hmm. in any way yeah. No, that's and in I mean. fact, it's what upset the fans because I think the fans wanted some dark stuff well, and they didn't get it. Unless you yeah. watch the uh, Zack Snyder ones, which are really, really dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah, no, that that is actually a good shot. I mean, they're mostly terrible, but yeah, you are right. They're not... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, they're Damn, not shots fired. Evil and violent. Well, they are. Uh, to be honest, the last one of the film was just. Ugh. But... Damn, oh more God. shots fired. Yeah. Well, yeah. Actually, that's kind of an interesting point, though, because you you cited um, three properties there: so Shazam, Wonder Woman, and uh, what was it? Sorry, what, what, Aquaman. Yeah. Now, those are oh, that's that's quite an interesting point, actually, because those are all the first big screen iterations of those three characters. Is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, Wonder Woman was so, the second if, one, so. She had two. She's had big two, screen. She's had two films. Oh yes, I'm sure, talking about sure, Wonder sure, Woman sure, yeah. 1984. That was awful. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I, I meant in terms of as Gal Gadot, right. basically, uh, sort of in that role. So if you were to compare that, say, with Batman, I actually this is something I was thinking of as well, because I, I do think about uh, target audiences change, and I do think audiences mature as well. But I think part of it is also 
I think uh, the darker versions of things are always kind of a an inevitable destination. I think if I, I don't think there's anyone that's been rebooted on screen more than Batman. I think the amount of say iterations or people that have played him, or the amount of filmmakers that have had it, from Tim Burton to Joel Schumacher to um, uh, Christopher Nolan to Zack Snyder, uh, and uh, is, is it Matt Reeves who's just done yeah, the, the Matt new Reeves, one? Yeah. It's almost like as a filmmaker, the first question you have to ask yourself is how can I make this different to the one before it? Mm. And I think it it almost puts you on this path of, well, it's got to be darker. It's got to be grittier than the one before it, you know, because I suppose at some point Batman is going to go full circle and it'll be like, let's just go full on (laughs) happy camp at daytime or something. Adam (laughs) West. That might be the full circle thing with Batman will get in 10 years. But yeah, it will be interesting, you know, if you were to look at, say, Wonder Woman, kind of portrayals in you know if we look at three or four iterations down the line will we still have something that is as wholesome as you kind of referenced earlier that was a rambling response but uh, i do think it's about people wanting to change things as well as they take the helm of a project like that well i would say shazam is a brilliant example because shazam is like the superhero equivalent of big and it is made for children even i went to see it i loved it but it's it's one of the probably the, the lightest, lightheartest, funniest um, kind of superhero kind of comic films probably in the last 10 years. It's just a lot of fun. But I think that even with that, because they're, well, um, I think The Rock's just finished making Black Adam and that's kind of tied into that. Yeah, that trailer um, definitely was not awesome or kid-friendly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how they... They bridge it because they, all the character, all the main, all the kids are now superheroes. There's going to be a sequel, and obviously, you know, as I said, it's got to tie into Black Adam, and Black Adam is is not going to be that. So it's going to be interesting how they bring that together. Um, but yeah, Shazam. I, I, I mean, I would say if if you if you compared Wonder Woman to the TV series. Um, and even Aquaman in cartoons and comics, they are still more realistic, serious depictions of those characters. I just think with Aquaman, the whole thing that you know that they chose to to show the underwater realm, and and as soon as they you do that, it's just going to be fairly ridiculous and and and, and very far fetched escapism. Which I've never seen Aquaman actually. I think about it. Should, uh, should I take some time out to watch it? No. All right, Imran, you decide. Are you right? <laughs> Are you, I'm curious about that <laughs> struggle that we just you, heard. You on the toilet? Are you, you all right? I haven't. You I good, haven't. You, you good? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay, man. I'm okay. I'm just thinking about the struggle. Yeah, it was. It was. I actually haven't seen Aquaman either. I had no interest in seeing it. I, I've never heard anyone it's, say it's amazing. It's not amazing. It was. It. It's not disappointing because you don't really have high hopes for it in the first place. <laughs> oh, so in that regard, you can sit down and watch it and enjoy it, and then forget it. You know, you don't come out of that thinking, you know, oh wow, that's I can't wait for the next part of the DC extended universe or whatever. You definitely not. <laughs> But that's an interesting point you made right there. It's disposable. You go there, mm-hmm. the experience it, it sits with you during the film. You come home and you you know you kind of 
within a few hours, you've probably forgotten you've ever seen it. Whereas the level of, you know, we, we are so invested in these films and the multiple story threads and characters and callbacks that, yeah, I mean, I, I think it make, maybe makes it a lot harder for it to be, you know, lighthearted escapism because... Dan, let's be honest. Yeah, right? go on. This whole conversation wouldn't be happening if you had got, for your birthday, as requested, Robert Patterson duvet and pillow covers. <laughs> I'm still waiting for it. I'm still, you know, holding out hope. I will get it. Is that the one with his face on the actual pillowcase? Yeah. So you can uh, sort of sleep on it and, just dro- and drool. Yeah. So, well, I've got, I've got the Twilight version. Can, can I just sort of, the other day I was walking out of a subway station and uh, I was coming up the escalator and I saw from a distance a guy had a jacket on, which was very clearly comic book related. And I was like, oh, look, cool guy with a cool comic book jacket. And as I got closer, I saw that it had the like ha, 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 ha lips, which is a joker. And I'm like, oh, wow, he's got a joker jacket on. And then I got close enough to see that actually it was a Jared Leto joker. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, man, that, that, that went full circle really quick. And it just made me realize how some of the movies and some of the actors in those roles just really haven't made an impact. Do you know what I mean? I really wanted it to be in nearly any of the other Jokers except for that one, you know? Um, but I always think that's a bit unfair because the it whole... It is totally unfair. That must have been a real rollercoaster of emotions for you right there. It was. It totally <laughs> was. It totally was. We, we never like... got to see Gerard Leto's Joker, really. We... He got a few cameos and deleted scenes, and that's it, which is yeah. ridiculous. For Maybe that's where of... the disappointment comes from. Yeah. That we never actually got to see it in action properly, you know? But is it officially gone for him now? Is, there, is he, like, not on the books in any context? Oh, sorry, did I say that loud? Sorry. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think, we've said this, I've said this on many previous podcasts, they should just give up trying to connect their universes together. Just make single films. I think we're all agreed. They have. That, that is what they're doing there, is isn't it? it? I thought DC had sort of announced after Justice League, after the first... The fact that we're asking this question suggests to me that... It clearly isn't clear, but I do do remember them sort of saying, uh, well, them conceding that it it just wasn't going to work and the the focus was standalone. The problem is they've still got got films in production right now which include those characters which all crossed over from other universes. So They've got The Flash, which is out soon, surely. Yes, Flash, Aquaman 2... Wait a minute. Um, that flash Shazam. guy, has he been arrested again? Or yeah, oh, about 15 times this week. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's Miller. Yeah. He's, he's on the JK running train, so no surprises. So, but, but one of the points I wanted to quickly make about Joker is it feels like, you know, from the, from the original Joker in, in the uh, Adam West TV show to Jack Nicholson's Joker to Heath Ledger's Joker to, Jared Leto's Joker, what you see of them, they've each got progressively more extreme. And I and I kind of I was almost a little bit disappointed um with the Matt Reeves film when I heard that there was gonna be an yet another version of the Joker. Um in hindsight, I'm I'm open to it. Um I think uh I've forgotten his name, Keown's portrayal could be good. I'm, I'm there for it, but it does feel like, uh, I can't remember who said it. It might've been in man that, that, 
that each version of the Batman now, you know, it's pretty much what, what I'm saying is it, where can that end? What is the logical conclusion if every single reimagining or reboot of the Batman under a new director has to be even more dark and it's going to be Republican? Not, not just that. It's all the <laughs> all the Batman movies are, are single, are single, you know, singularly one dimensional in that they're Batman versus one of his five main opponents. You know, Penguin, Joker, Riddler, um, Catwoman, and Orbane. And that's, we seem to be locked in that cycle. You know, you're going to go to see a Batman film, and it's not really going to be very interesting because of it. Mm. And, I, and that's like, I, I, you know I'm what, that's not it. excited. I, I mean, I love the last Batman film. I thought it was the best of all of them from a, from a cinematography point of view and tension and everything else. But like, as stories go, it's, like, huh, it's Batman and Gordon versus one of those five again. And it felt very much like any other Batman film in that regard. I think you perfectly summed up my, that was my, my thought process kind of going into it. I didn't really feel like, you know, sometimes when they reboot something and you're kind of like, Oh cool. Yeah. I'm interested to see what this version of it will look like. But I just, I didn't feel like I, even when the first trailer came out like a year ago, I didn't really feel like I was ready for it. I didn't really want to see it. I think it was you, um, yourself, Dennis and Roth who has said, uh, best batman film ever and so i thought okay let's let's go and see it but i just i found myself kind of this is by no means a comment on the film it was my it's about my perception of it as such but i i just i found the dynamics boring you know just like you said though um i think when alfred was like come on master bruce you know take it easy i thought oh god here we go again and it's just stuff like that i just i I, and it is a good film it is a very very good film and it was with great moments Mm. but for me i just thought i'm just sort of bored of the dynamics going into and i I think to to bring that background to dr strange and multiple madness or pretty much any of the marvel films even spider-man you just don't know where they're going and that's what makes an interesting movie. You go in, you sit down, you've seen the 10 trailers, yet they still manage to surprise you every single time. One way or another, they surprise you. And I don't get that from the Batman movies at all. The thing is with Spider-Man is every reboot uh, of that has been quite formulaic, as in uh, Uncle Ben dies, Spider-Man has to become Spider-Man and deal with learning how to become your favorite neighborhood Spider-Man. And the only thing that they did differently, which was genius in in the last Spider-Man film, is rather than try and bring back new versions of, you know, existing villains like Dr. Octopus and Green Goblin and um, the Lizard, Electro, instead of creating new versions of those, thankfully they, they did the whole... You know, multiverse thing and brought those characters as well as the older Spider-Men into that film. So that, that's a brilliant approach, but you know that that's, you know, that sort of thing's not going to happen with, with Batman. Um, so yeah, Dennis, as you were saying, I think there's going to come a point where if they, if Robert Patterson you know that and Matt Reeves stop making Batman films after maybe a trilogy what's going to happen after that because i don't think well i don't know I, it, is there a limit on how many times you can reboot the same characters and the same villains um 
Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Batman just entered the chat. <laughs> Batman flew through the window. <laughs> I was going to say, I think that there is a limit, um, but it, that limit is kind of dependent on the audience and how that audience has aged as well. And, I, and we've got a very long age span on the current audience because as Imran mentioned earlier, men in their 40s who are still engaged in this and have been. We've been viewers of, of everything for like 30, 40 years. So for us, watching it get rebooted constantly is a right or pain. Um, and we, again, new generation, somebody who is in their teens and they're watching this Robert Patterson Batman for the first time, you know, it's going to be like when we watched uh, um, the Batman, the, the, the Batman with uh, Jack Nicholson and uh, Michael Keaton back then, all the ones that came before didn't mean anything to us because they were our previous generation's Batman movies because there had been Batman movies before, right? Um, it's what's happened since then. So, so our beginning point is Michael Keaton and we've seen like five different Batman since then. So someone now, this generation, it's, it's uh, Robert Pattinson. How many, how long before they get tired of seeing Batman reboots? All the ones that came before don't matter. They're only going to be concerned with this one forward. I think that's kind of how that works. True, but, but I would say that at least the Batman films before Michael Keaton were tonally completely different. So... I think that the point I'm making is that from Michael Keaton, well, actually, you could argue that um, the Joel Schumacher films weren't that. They weren't that dark. They were that's more right, yeah. in line with, yeah. That, that was their <laughs> design. Were... That's why Tim Burton was ultimately asked to leave because they wanted it to be more uh, blockbustery, more more family accessible. Um, and that was that was why they got Joel Schumacher. So that is interesting. It went from you dark know, to a bit lighter, didn't it? Yeah. You know what we got from that? Arnold Schwarzenegger is <laughs> fucking Mr. Freeze. How about that? Is that, what you want, Dan? is that what you want, Dan? You want more Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> yeah. in your movies? Because if you keep asking these questions, you're going to get more Arnold Schwarzenegger in your movies. I'm just saying. That's true. That's true. But you know, I've, I've actually only seen that movie once, right? And which is quite weird. Like most films, you end up just seeing them again because it doesn't come on TV often. Everybody hates it. Nobody talks about it. And I wonder now, is it 30 years later or 25 years later? what that looks like to me. Because we did a we did a rewatching of all the Batman films before the Christopher Nolan ones, but we didn't even watch that one. We watched the we watched the first two with Michael Keaton and the one with uh Val Kilmer. Um yeah, and then we stopped. There's a reason for that, Dennis. <laughs> yeah. But but I'm curious, like if I if I, I think we should do some homework. I think we should all sit down and watch that movie. So, but you know the real reason. Yeah. Why, do, why do you hate me, Dennis? <laughs> I don't but, hate but do you know the real reason Tim Burton got booted off and why they they went that route? Well, partly already for what you said, Imran. But the main thing about that film, which is quite interesting, because this is another thing that has changed. But back then, they felt it had to be more wholesome and kind of family focused because they needed it to sell toys and merch. Whereas now, admittedly, I've I've not gone to a toy shop and I don't know if the Robert Patterson 
Batman is there in all its forms, but I'm pretty pretty sure that it will be, and it is. Well, in fairness, so though, a Le- there is a Lego Bat- Batmobile for the new one, which I don't have. <laughs> yet yet being the operative word well in fairness though i i i don't think that was the situation with the tim burton one i mean there was a very popular or famous quote um about that first batman from i can't remember who said it but they said the batman this obviously the 1989 batman they said that wasn't a film it was a franchise and that was basically yeah. said in terms of that was the the marketing behind it in terms of that was everything for that you know from everyone had the the, the black t-shirt uh with the batman symbol on it there were toys there were key rings there were lunch boxes they there was a huge marketing drive for that and it was very very you know franchise not as in series of movies but franchise in terms of the marketing behind everything that was available for it yes but admittedly for the first film for the second film they didn't sell enough toys okay. and that's a fact okay. and i don't know why um but you they sold actually... a lot of umbrellas, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. I think you, you could possibly argue that the second film was, I don't know, there was a little bit of a, t- a tone shift because I feel like uh, the whole Chester Cobblepot uh, penguin thing with uh, Danny DeVito, that was one fucked up character. Mm. Um, so maybe they kind of went into quite a, I don't know. Yeah, the f- the first movie was not like that. It was all light and lightness and no, you know, no, no, fairy not- dust. I mean, like Joker sprays his girlfriend with acid. <laughs> yeah, in the no, face. <laughs> exactly. But but for some <laughs> reason, um, I think that the first the first Batman um, film because oh, you know, had Prince didn't it singing the the song? The yeah, Although the, having said that, that the third or fourth one had you too for god's sake but but that was one that that sold a lot a lot more toys you you will find it harder to get uh, batman returns toys than you you can to get um the original keaton film but but yeah a- apparently that's what the studios wanted to do they were like you know we we want to sell more toys to to younger kids and the second film for 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 some reason and i don't really know why but it, it didn't do that. It underperformed, it undersold. So that's why they decided to sort of push um, to kick Tim Burton into touch. Fair hmm. So. Can I go and have a cup of tea now? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> what time well, is it? Now? <laughs> what time it's, is it? It's, it's half five, it's, it's tea time. Apparently, yeah, it's tea time. Tea it's, time. Been, it's been tea time for over an hour. <laughs> what are you having for dinner, Dennis? <laughs> uh, meatballs and pasta. Oh, very nice. Actually, very Canadian of you. <laughs> very, very North American. Yeah, definitely. Well, on that so, Canadian yeah. culinary bombshell, I think we've, uh, I think we've reached the end of our podcast on comic darkness. And uh, yeah, I think there's two schools of thoughts. There's there's me and Imran who are trying to save the children. <laughs> and, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if Imran's on your side on this. Imran, were you trying to save the children? Meatballs, you say. I like meatballs. <laughs> 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 there's, there's, 
Whereas me and Dennis are like, fuck yeah. them kids. That's right. We need we need, need more darkness because once Dude. you've had black, you can't go back. Oh, wait. Oh, Should we yeah. be turning <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, I mean, to be fair, I work in computer games, so I, I for a living, I get paid to yeah. rot children's brains. So I mean, yeah. I, I work in feature animation and it's a constant discussion in feature animation is what we are doing, is it for kids or not? And it's a real debate. I mean, the movie I'm working on at the moment is going to really cause a storm in that regard when it comes out because, you know, we've already in, you know, I can't say too much, but it's it's controversial in, to, in whether, you know, it's a webcomic that wasn't written for children at all. Oh, you big tease. <laughs> So no, he's told know. us what it is. We yeah, can't yeah. we can't talk about it. But I'm, I'm sure. we, we, no, no, that's what I'm saying. He's teasing the he's teasing the listeners, dude. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. that's right. Is this not the Smurfs know. reboot you were discussing then? No, no, no. <laughs> no. Oh by the way, God. by the way, having one degree of separation of uh, wait, wait, one degree of separation is when you know someone who knows the person, right? Yeah. So I've got one degree of separation from Michael Bay. Oh. Right, because one of the one of the producers on the show I'm working on works directly with him, right? So I've been trying to sell him on this idea of the Michael Bay reboot of The Wizard of Oz. So I'm gonna I'm gonna push this. Right? If that ever happens, you can thank me, people. Wow! Right? I only have one thing I, to say to that. What? Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I said, look, like just just do it. The people will pay good money to see that man. Come on, I think we need to start a hashtag campaign. Why did you everybody. put those things together? That's, that's a real fascinating combination. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'm not really sure how I got, how I got to that. I mean, the, the thing is, imagine. we've talked about Return to Oz before. We've, turned, mm. we've talked about Wizard of Oz being this, you know, this golden rainbow Technicolor fantasy. And then Return to Oz is probably one of the, the darkest children's. Yeah. movies of the 90s. But which is the one, what about the one that came out recently? Oh, no. No, that... The series that was on... No, 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 no. There was a film that came out James about... There was two. There was two. And there was a series that was on... As... Sorry, go on. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I think there was a series as well, but uh, Den- Dennis is talking about that there was two films made with James Franco, and they were properly... You know, like a, a kid's reimagine modern modern reimagining of Wizard of Oz with the same kind of you know fantasy elements and wizards and so witches and stuff. I I just searched for oh god, I just searched for the Wizard of Oz franchise, and what I got back was a link to an audible recording of something called the Wicked Hot Wizard of Oz, a gay romance, <laughs> and it says. Over the rainbow, way over. <laughs> <laughs> but this is on Audible, um, man. This is on audible.com. Right. That's it. Not, Podcast's not over. We can't, we can't follow that. Podcast is over. That, that's, we've reached a zenith now. Oh, my God. That's Dennis, it. are you playing with your wand? Stop it. <laughs> I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've got it. I've got it. <laughs> I'm straight in the description. Um, no, I don't. I, yeah, was it James Franco in that? Yeah, but the one with the like the porcelain doll character that broke is that James? Is that the James Franco one? Oh God, uh, I don't remember that. I saw one of them at the cinema. I had to review it. It's terrible. But yeah, <laughs> had James movie. Franco in it. <laughs> huh. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I mean, terrible for me, but 
probably very good for kids and families. It's just an example of a kid's film where I was definitely not the target audience, so probably didn't enjoy it. Is it something like Oz the Great and Powerful or something? Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's the one I'm thinking of, yeah. Not not by any means terrible. Like, I wouldn't say that in terms of, you know... I didn't realise... Yeah, it's Oz the Great and Powerful. I didn't realise it was a follow-up. Yeah, there was a sequel. But for me, I just didn't like it. Mm. But I'm sure for other people, it's not terrible. Yeah. Mm. Right, well, I think we've... uh, yeah, we've we've gone to dark areas. We we never thought we'd uh, depths. We'd never thought we'd plumb. So uh, let's wrap up. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to Dennis, TJ, and Imran, and we will catch you on the next podcast. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Bye.